Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talkin' Marks, a podcast brought to you by Trademark Now, a core search company. We will talk about an array of topics centered around trademarks and brands. I'm Craig Bailey, a regional sales manager at CoreSearch based in Belgium. My co-presenter and colleague is Gokchen Uzer Sinkauchi. Hi, I'm Gokchen, trademark counsel at Trademark Now. We are very welcome to Tolgeek Marks. I worked as a trademark lawyer for a little over 12 years and I now provide trademark law expertise for AI model development at Trademark Now. No opinions that are expressed in this podcast should be considered legal opinions, nor do they directly reflect the opinions of CoreSearch or her employees. This podcast is intended to be a casual but informative discussion on a variety of topics in the world of IP protection, including trademark law, brand protection, and trends in this amazing sector. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Mark's Online Fights episode. Today, we are excited to host the company secretary and the director general of Counterfeit Group, Mr. Phil Lewis, and excited to discuss with him the possible strategies to combat both the act of counterfeiting and the counterfeit themselves. Phil has been engaged in intellectual property enforcement since 2001, when he became the UK's senior policy advisor on intellectual property crime. Based at the UK Intellectual Property Office, Phil was responsible for developing and leading on the UK's first national IP crime strategy. He was also the United Kingdom's IP enforcement representative at the G8 level and chaired the United Nations Advisory Group on IP Protection and Enforcement. At the time, Phil was also an advisor to the Interpol Action Group and led a number of European Commission IP peer review teams assessing IP infrastructures and enforcement capabilities in China and a range of EU secession and candidate countries. In 2008, Phil became senior national expert at the European Commission, where he authored the Commission's strategy against counterfeiting and piracy. He was also responsible for conceiving and developing the concept for the EU Observatory on IP Infringement of IP Rights, which has become the pivotal European network of experts engaged in shaping more effective IP enforcement policies and strategies. Since retiring from public service at the end of 2014, Phil worked as policy and strategy advisor to the UK Anti-Counterfeiting Group. He has been a senior advisor on a range of EU IP enforcement winning projects, including studies and key assessment reports on countries such as Serbia, Ukraine, and Macedonia. In 2014, Phil was awarded the Global Anti-Counterfeiting Award for Individual Achievement, and in 2018, he became the new director of the Anti-Counterfeiting Group. Quite the uh, resume that you have there, Phil. Thank you so much for joining us at Talking Marks, and thank you for coming on to the show. Before we dive headfirst into this topic, why is it important that we should stop counterfeiting? Well, thanks to um, thanks to you both for inviting me to speak today. Um, yeah, um, I'm not sure. I hope I can uh, live up to that resume. That's very kind of you to um, to mention those things. Um, uh, firstly, I think uh, on your question, we need to think about why criminals get involved uh, and have got involved in counterfeiting. Um, 
intellectual property rights, as many of you, your listeners will know, of they're vital fuels for economies across the world now. And of course, if these ideas, designs, logos, products, services can be owned, then they have value. And of course, they can be stolen. And of course, that interests criminals greatly. Um, Industries rely, as you know, on intellectual property rights to protect their goods and creations and designs and services, but they generate about 28% of employment across the EU. And in real terms, that's about 60 million jobs. So um, those companies that rely on those services, um, when they're added on, we're talking about 82 million jobs right across Europe. So, um, and on top of that, they contribute about 42% to the EU GDP, which is around 5.7 trillion euros. So this is a huge thing. Uh, And the taxes that they pay actually support vital public services, such as hospitals, schools, and the economy. So um, so there's a huge value in intellectual property. And of course, as I've already said, that interests criminals and they want to know how they can get a piece of the action. So counterfeiting, well, it's a wide economic menace. In 2019, the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and the EU Intellectual Property Office updated figures that they'd produced before, and it revealed that the world trade in fake goods is now worth $509 billion, which represents about 3% of world trade, which is enormous. Um, more than this, of course, um, there, there are other aspects which we should be um, should be aware of. Really, seven percent of the the products in, imported into Europe are now counterfeit, um, and you know the UK market alone is worth thirteen point six billion, and the total value of lost sales from products smuggled into the UK is again about nine billion. But the worry is that this thing has changed. When I first came into this, um, we were looking at really what would be considered to be a cottage industry. Uh, It grew very, very quickly. Organized criminality became involved. And with it, things have changed from those old traditional goods that we were seeing, those fake things like Rolexes, watches and, you know, sports, uh, football shirts and such. Um, things change quickly, and the fake articles beca- began to get more dangerous, and they, they began to target those things that we use in our households. So um, one of the, the last reports we had from the EU Customs uh, Border uh, Authorities showed that 37% of fake articles detained at EU borders were a threat to the health and safety of consumers. But on top of that, the EU's rapid exchange information and alert system, which basically collates reports from market surveillance authorities um, across Europe, revealed that over 90% of recorded counterfeit goods now posed a clear health risk. So things have changed quickly. Uh, it seems a long time ago since I got involved in this, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But over the last five or six years, um, we've seen, we've witnessed a huge change in the volume and scale uh, of the threat that we're all facing. Wow, that is uh, concerning data indeed. Um, so could you please give us then a little background information on the anti-counterfeiting group 
which we'll call the ACG going forward. Uh, what does it do and, and, and how does it work? Well, it's been in place, Zach, for about 40 years now. Well, in fact, it has been 40 years. Um, we were to celebrate um, that uh, anniversary last year, but unfortunately, of course, um, uh, the, the um, pandemic crisis upset our plans really in that area. But it is one of the world's premier trade organizations dedicated to the fight against um, counterfeiting. Services we provide are wide and varied. And I, I will say that we, we are unique in one respect. Uh, a lot of the trade bodies across the world that get involved in trying to uh, build a collaborative approach to fight counterfeiting uh, don't have what we have. And that is an intelligence coordination function. So that means that everything we do is intelligence-led and evidence-based. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. The intelligence in coordination function is really our base. In short, what we do operationally is to gather and analyze and prepare intelligence from our members and from beyond to allow us to drive and facilitate sort of collaborative actions against major counterfeiters. Now, the, the benefit of that is, is that, of course, it, it benefits our members, but it also reduces the burden on enforcement. And of course, they have stretched resources and responsibilities nowadays. Um, and being able to package this relieves them a lot of the tedium at the beginning of an operation. So we can just then find the correct authority that will help us to be able to take, uh, take these major counterfeiters out. So the work has really resulted in millions of pounds worth of illicit goods being removed from physical and online markets. Uh, we then use the intelligence and evidence to inform and advise government policymakers. So it has a different angle to it. And when you speak to government um, policymakers and enforcement decision makers nowadays, you need to be able to show them the smoking gun. You can no longer go in and say, we've got a problem. How big is the problem? Very big. You'd be out the door. You need to be able to say, we've got a problem and we've evidenced it and this is it. Um, and we can also use this intelligence and information to develop research advisory papers, uh, we can advise on proposed changes of law, but essentially what we can do as well is tailor training for enforcement officers based on the risks that we've found in that intelligence package that we've put together. So in that way, we can ensure best practice skills are being used right across. Um, and last year, we actually trained around 8,000 enforcement officers in the UK, uh, all online, of course, as you'd expect. Um, so, of course, we use that evidence then for outreach as well to build wider understanding and awareness of the dangers. So it's a, it, we try to give a comprehensive package and we were working on this for about two or three years now. And strangely enough, the moving to a, a virtual space has allowed us to get to a wider audience. Yeah, it's it's a crucial test that you do. You help to steer more effective government and enforcement strategies and help help to facilitate the operations against counterfeit traders is fantastic how how do you influence the industry for example how effectively are your organization's relations with online markets such as facebook amazon or alibaba well uh, yeah the intelligence yeah uh, and the evidence base gives us a great footing and i think over the last few years it's given us a greater standing with major online platforms 
because they realize we're not basing our work on hearsay or rumor. Um, it's actual evidence that we can put together to show them that there's a problem in a specific area. So they can rely on our information and submissions. Um, and in turn, this, I think, leads to a stronger partnership approach. So on the basis of what we find, we regularly then invite major platforms to speak to our key members at roundtables and events. And I think that's built a greater understanding of our needs, but also an understanding of the challenges that we face and that they face. Um, because some of these platforms, of course, are enormous, you know, and criminals identify any weaknesses uh, and will use legitimate sources to sell illicit goods. So what we what we we feel we can do is by giving this um, this evidence, this properly in, um, properly informed evidence, is to allow them to better design more proactive and responsive uh, actions, um, which of course meet our our members' needs. Things are not perfect, I'd have to say, and each platform, of course, has its own business model, its needs and strategies. However, I think we've moved a long way in, in the last seven or eight years. And, and I have to say, we're, we're very pleased with the way things are developing. So what are today's uh, biggest challenges for fighting counterfeits, both at a national and at an international level then? There are numerous challenges, of course, facing our members at the moment. The obvious is the more intensive move from uh, buy to buying online uh, and, of course, online selling. Um, since the pandemic took a hold, online sales have risen dramatically, as you would you would imagine, because people were staying at home. Um, they couldn't get hold of some of the stuff that they wanted to get hold of. Um, and we saw consumer spending uh, increase by about 40 percent. Um, many of these were new online shoppers, of course, which means that they would be more susceptible to fraud, unfortunately. So um, there was a continual, you know, there was a need to build awareness about the rise of counterfeit goods being sold online. And we focused on that very clearly and again, used our evidence and intelligence to, to, to actually provide accurate information on it. Um, and many of the, the, much of the stuff that we were seeing were increasingly dangerous as I moved, as I said earlier. So um, what we understand now is that 30% of people have unwittingly bought a fake online. And that's a huge number when you think about how big the consumer uh, buying power has become online, I, I mean. So, um, so not only does buying counterfeit goods cost the economy billions in, in lost revenue, as I mentioned earlier on, but again, I, would, I want to stipulate that it, it, it's beginning to threaten the health and safety of people. Um, criminal, this criminal gangs now sell food, beverages, electrical, household goods, pharmaceuticals, you know, cell phones, chargers, car brakes, and everyday products like shampoo and hygiene articles. So, um, so the dangers are evident, but the challenges I don't think stop there, because um, we realise that our enforcement officers' uh, resources are stretched, of course, and they stretch the capacity. And particularly during the pandemic, of course, as they were pushed towards other sort of um, threats and, and uh, challenges. Um, and they have competing priorities. 
So we need to ensure that those precious resources are properly uh, properly supported. Now, for me, the power of partnerships is is the key aim, and 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 using our intelligence coordination and growing affiliations to drive and you know joint approaches is 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 what we should what we are about really. We need a structure to do that. Um, and if I was truthful, I'd say we're probably not near that at the moment, a central structure as they have in the States. But, you know, that's essential if we're, we, we need to be able to, um, to exchange continuous information and best practices. Um, one, of the challenge, one of the other challenges is the international issue. As more countries are becoming vulnerable to counterfeiting, Say, say in Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and supply chains are also becoming more disrupted. Counterfeiters want to move closer to their main markets, and Europe is one of their main markets, as is the US. In addition, I think to realize that China, because, and I, I mentioned China because 83% of fakes come from China and Hong Kong, um, is China's more affluent now. So counterfeiters are looking for cheaper ways to manufacture and transport goods. And we have to be very careful in Europe, I think, that manufacturing could be on the rise here. Um, it's commonly known as nearshoring, which is about uh, bringing um, the, the manufacture closer to the to prime markets. Uh, and it's a growing concern. Um, China's Belt and Road strategy also brings another sort of another potential opportunity for counterfeiters to infiltrate new channels, uh, including you know the rail system from China to the UK, for instance, which means the trains can reach London from from China in 18 days. And of course, we don't have the management and legal structures around rail travel that we might in other sort of travel uh, sectors. And counterfeiters will already be aware of, of the possibilities of infiltrating that rail system. Um, and on top of that, China, again, is governing uh, some key ports in Europe and counterfeiters will know about that. And they'll be planning how to land consignments and beat port governance. And of course, they have previous experience of all of that in the past. Um, so those are just some of the some of the things that are on uh, that have um, arisen recently. Um, the online aspect is of is a concern because uh, of the new new buyers that are arriving. But of course, we have to go back to source as well. And I, I'm not about pinpointing China as being some sort of piratical empire, but but counterfeiters are based in China, have come from China, know the markets and know how to move stuff. So they will be looking to infiltrate any any progress China makes in its Belt and Road strategy. Yeah, as you said, to, to, to promote national EU uh, and international partnership corporations and strengthen the cross-border relations is a very important task. And what what does Brexit mean for counterfeit? Is how well, well UK position itself now? Like, do you foresee yeah. any policy gaps? Yeah. Thanks, Gosian. Uh, yeah, Brexit is, um, you know, it's divisive, isn't it? Brexit in still in the UK, um, but we have left the EU, and and that means we we will need to position ourselves slightly differently. 
Personally, I, I think Brexit does bring a host of challenges and concerns. It brings advantages as well, of course, for many rights owners. But, um, for example, I, I talked a lot about intelligence and sharing because I believe that that's the basis for good enforcement and protection. Um, now, there are vital intelligence and, and information systems in the EU that we've always been a part of. And I think the UK has been influential in many ways in ensuring that these systems, uh, you know, are properly functional and are a real contributory factor. But we may become blocked from using those or blocked from actually providing information into them as a third country. Now, I've spoken to um, to commission officials about this. It's not what they want. Um, they recognise UK's position as being influential in enforcement and that we've in some ways been a, a leader in the way that enforcement is actually delivered. But um, there are political issues which may prevent us well, are likely to prevent us from becoming blocked to certain systems. Um, and we have lesser knowledge at the moment on how enforcement will be able to cooperate as effectively under different legal systems. So those are two sort of key issues that my members would be worried about. Um, the other thing is that the EU will, will, you know, leaving the EU will profoundly change the trade and customs relationship that we have at the Irish border. And we know the arguments and disputes that are going on about that as we speak. But goods, but there's also goods moving across the English Channel, which will also result in new customs checks, safety and security inspections. Now, those have an impact on trade, but we don't fully understand yet how they will impact on proper enforcement. So as a result, those engaged in operating and using the straits um, between us, ourselves and France, for instance, we need to know uh, in the business world and have to get used to how the new systems on both sides of the channel will work in practice. That, you know, I mean, that includes the forms that will need to be completed uh, and when and what systems will be used to carry out physical checks. So that's all part of the protection of their, their, their intellectual property, protection of their goods and services. And, and really, we need at the moment greater transparency, I would say, about how the borders will work. For instance, in, in respect of the, the channel and Eurotunnel. Uh, we've had little information about that at the moment, but also about how things will work between Dover and Folkestone and Calais, and also the ferries. We need to consider how they will operate and be um, effectively um, protected between, say, Folkestone and Calais and Dunkirk. So the information we need um, to allow us to be able to identify risks risks and threats, but also to ensure that our goods uh, can travel and are protected uh, is much needed, I think. So, um, so in short, custom systems and policing, they're going to change dramatically. And we need to ensure, I think, that we maintain vital cooperation regimes. The intelligence factor is, is a huge part of this. And I just hope that both sides are grown up enough 
to understand how they, you know, what they need to do to be able to protect business and consumers in the wide in the wider arena. Yeah. And then, what advice can you give to companies on how to best combat counterfeits? Can you also list what definitely does not work in your experience? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, I mean, you know, as we've spoken, this counterfeiting is, you know, it's a global issue, and and. It requires multi-agency and, for my money, multi-sector partnerships. You know, and we the, a true response simply can't be accomplished unless we cooperate properly. Uh, I think, as I mentioned before, we are way off in providing a central structure for cooperation, but that doesn't stop us from cooperating. I don't believe. So my advice, really is to be able to support enforcement so that they can help to protect business and consumers. So in the short term then, what we need to do, we need to continue and gather and use more aggregated information. And we need to make that available to support sort of local, regional, central, and uh, intercontinental policy makers, but enforcement decision makers. And that's the key thing. So this gathering of information and combining it in a digestible way for enforcement decision takers is essential. And my advice would be to get involved, to do, you know, to, to become part of an organization like the anti-counterfeiting group who are able to do that for you. So the the aim is really to convince decision takers what we need to, you know, what what we need to build more joint planning. And and when we talk about planning, uh, what we ought to be looking at is end-to-end strategies, I think. So we we need to be working together uh, and providing information about where the stuff is coming from, how it's being transported, and then how it's being sold. Um, and, um, and, I, and, and I think then we'll be able to tackle properly the criminals involved. Uh, now, the ACG is a central hub, as I've, I've said many times already, um, for intelligence gathering. And we, but we're part of an international network, and it's a big machine. Uh, and we can provide data and evidence to help and build and maintain even more alliances and, and, and drive more effective I think, and sustainable enforcement. So, for instance, we're a major contributor to the World Customs Organization, Europol, the World Intellectual Property Office, Interpol, um, United Nations, Interregional Crime Institute, um, and the EU's um, uh, the EU's um, other other forms of um, enforcement. Um, but my advice again is. Together, we can we can, we need to ensure that we continue to exchange information. But but we need to have, we need to be feeding this in, and keeping it to ourselves because there are people who think that information is power won't work. Simply working alone, taking out individual groups of sellers on the street or even online, doesn't have an impact. All this does is tackle the end of the chain. And they'll be replaced in no time. So what we have to do is create this kind of golden thread of of information. And a business has the information to hand. 
and it will be useless unless we share it. So we need to be able to use that then to disrupt money flows and take it back to the heads of crime unit um, networks, I think. So um, using seizure figures um, is, is not going not gonna to hack it. It, it gives us, a, it, it shines a light on the problem, but as a, as a gauge of performance, it can be little value because it's reactive and it re reveals nothing really about the actual size of the problem, only what we've been able to take out. So my advice is really use uh, organizations such as ourselves as a feeder to enforcement and to these policy decision makers so we can plan better and more strategically. So I understand that uh, for brands to have a stronger voice in uh, tackling counterfeiting today, you're, you're suggesting that uh, they work more closely with organizations like the ACG. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are there are organizations like us, of course, across Europe. We're part of a group um, of of uh, five major anti-counterfeiting organizations, and um, uh, and I would have to say that you know that the membership of them is primarily some of the leading uh, leading companies in the world. But there are a lot of companies that are being attacked and are not part of this. And they will have information and intelligence that will that will allow us to support enforcement agencies and policy decision makers in a wider arena. So, yeah. So in short, if we gather and pro provide compelling facts and data to drive more understanding, and then we develop more evidence-based and focused training events uh, and lobbying um, and um, we, we can make better decisions about how we tackle this. So, um, and as I've said just just now, you know, taking out the low hanging fruit really doesn't do it um, because they will be replaced very quickly and it doesn't disrupt supply chains. Yeah, true. And can you share a recent counterfeit story with us? You know, we, have a, we have a lot. I mean, uh, since uh, the pandemic, uh, the strange thing is, um, during the pandemic, we were receiving more intelligence than we ever did. Um, but what, what we knew about counterfeiting at the time was that a, the counterfeiters weren't sitting on their hands. Basically, they were manufacturing. They knew that we were at some time we were going to be coming out of this pandemic. The restrictions would be relieved and they wanted to be ready. So there are notorious markets all over the world, uh, both physical and online. And we have one um, based in Camden in, in London. It, it's been running for years. Um, and it's not just one of those traditional flea markets. The Camden High Street actually houses, you know, retail shops selling all manner of counterfeit goods from clothing, footwear, handbags, watch, watches, accessories, electrical products, all of that. And there was one trader, for instance, who had operated for over five years, believe it or not, and was linked to a major counterfeiting network. Um, and he, this person was made the subject of an investigation, joint investigation by Trading Standards and our brand members. So what we did was we, we carried out some uh, covert test purchases. So we bought stuff from, from the trader over a period of six months. 
uh, and with the brands providing sort of expert advice on the products, you know, identifying which ones were dangerous, identifying which ones were actually fake, all of that sort of thing. This led to three major raid actions, which we coordinated with trading standards, and it netted thousands and thousands of fake products. So the prosecution was then brought against the director of the business. So we went to the top and the business itself, and he was convicted under various offences uh, relating not only to is the abuse of trademarks and counterfeiting, and but also under the Companies Act. Um, and and I, I'm a, I think we also need to be looking at how we use le- the law available to us. So the Companies Act related to limited companies, which were which in this case was being used to facilitate his criminality. So not only was he sentenced to jail, he was disqualified from being the director of any company for seven years. All the goods were seized all were confiscated and all were were destroyed and his shop and company were closed down and the case also brought which was really interesting because we talk about trademarks a lot in this but it also brought about the first conviction for registered designs infringement so you know in that it wasn't just pure collaboration with enforcement it was a really nice way of using different laws available to us to achieve a much greater end uh, and hopefully sends a signal that you may think that you're getting away with counterfeiting under the Trademarks Act, but we have other means to be able to um, to stop your um, illicit trade. Thank you, Phil, for sharing your valuable insights and experience with our listeners today. Needless to say, now more than ever, the treats to brand owners from counterfeiting are increasingly complex and require expert and timeless strategic advice to match rapidly developing challenges in dynamic marketplaces. So if anyone would like to learn about more onto Counterfeiting Group and the work they do, please visit a-cg.org. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Yes, and um, other... Other organizations are available, as they say. And, um, you know, just in, in finishing, I, I, I would like to just add that, you know, um, counterfeiting has, a tradition, has always had a traditional base in fashion and sportswear and jewelry and perfumes and all of them. But the rise in dangerous goods is really threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, the availability of household products is increasing. And during the pandemic, we saw how far these criminals would go. No conscience. The range grew and grew from fake masks to um, PPE, fake PPE, sanitizers, testing kits, remedies, and then most lately vaccines and fake certificates to allow people to travel. So um, alongside all of this, the fact that consumers were using online markets more and more to get their necessities uh, and the range is now enormous. No product is safe. Counterfeiters will stop nothing to make money. Um, and, you know, they'll feed on on any form of criminality and use the money from this to actually sustain other forms of crime as well. Drugs, weapons, people. It's a sick trade and it, and it threatens overwhelmed business and economy, economies across the world. The bottom line, Collaboration, that's the answer. 
and no country or agency is going to successfully combat this alone and unless it's evidence-based will be lost well your commitment against uh, to to fight this is generally appreciated i think by all of us in the ip trade we really appreciate your contribution today and uh thank you thank you so much thank you both i hope you find it useful and i uh, hope the the listeners um you know i've got an indication of um how how problematic all of this is and um we're here to help and if you would like to find out about how core search can help you in your ip protection work please get in touch with us our new case management task and document system has been designed by brand protection professionals to be customizable to your needs workflows and terminology Case-related information, including evidence packages, test purchases, tracking, documents, emails, case costs, return on investment, custom seizure information, images, contacts, messages, tasks, and invoices can all be centrally managed and stored in a single shareable location. It is a next-generation framework system where every case you have ongoing, every piece of information, and every action taken by you or your partners can be tracked and managed. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to know more about CoreSearch products and services, including trademark searching and watching, screening options on the CoreSearch platform and Trademark Now, domain services, online brand protection, and anti-piracy solutions, please visit us at coresearch.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with your fellow IP professionals using hashtag TalkinMarks. That is Talkin, T-A-L-K-I-N, Marks. See you next time.